Well, good morning. Oh, that was pretty weak. Good morning. Okay, good. <clears throat> Happy to be here this morning. My wife, Carol, usually comes with me, and uh, but our oldest granddaughter, our 16-year-old, um, is acting in um, a play at Welk Theater in Escondido, uh, The Adams Family, real spiritual uh, look at life. <laughs> it is a funny play, though. But uh, she's, so right after church is over with, she has a Sunday afternoon performance she has to do. So right after church is over with, Carol has the responsibility of uh, taking her the eight to ten minutes to walk. And so uh, my son, Todd, is pastor at Bethel Baptist Church in Escondido. He's been there uh, 11 years. And we uh, recently started very strong emphasis in missions. And so uh, just about the time we've, we uh, decided, prayed on it, and decided in our elder meeting uh, that we would do that, God sent a young family to our church, and his whole focus on it in his life has been missions. He's traveled all over the world on mission trips. And so right now, uh, they left, as a matter of fact, they left last Monday for Uganda, four of them, two of our elders, and then uh, Todd and, and our youth pastor. And Todd is teaching at a seminary there uh, for 40 indigenous pastors who are spreading the gospel message throughout uh, Uganda. So if you think about praying uh, for someone this week, you might want to pray for Todd. They come back on the on the 14th, so they'll be coming back this week. Uh, just pray for safety. It's about a 23-hour, 24-hour flight on three different planes, and uh, <clears throat> one of them, I think, has a, an engine, uh, so uh, hopefully anyway. But Carol couldn't be with me today, but I thought about a time when I was speaking uh, in Garden Grove. I'm sorry, in, uh, it's kind of confusing because they changed the name of the city, El Toro, at uh, what used to be called El Toro Road Baptist Church. And um, she, Carol had the flu, and I was speaking for a month there. And so the first two or three Sundays, she had the flu. And, <clears throat> and Carol, Carol and I have this signal thing going that, that um, when, it, when my time is done or within five minutes of when I wanted to close, she gives me a signal, and that way I don't go over. Uh, so because uh, I, I was told by a wise person this week that, that, uh, that uh, there's a fine line between a long, drawn-out sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> so try not to keep you hostage today, but... The first two weeks, I, I usually speak for about a half hour to 35 minutes, but I went 50 minutes uh, the first two weeks without Carol there. And so uh, when I, uh, the third week I was there, she was back and feeling well. So I happened to mention that I won't be going over uh, the extra 15 to 20 minutes that day because Carol's there and she'll give me a signal when, when I'm supposed to be finished. So anyway... Um, they had a large group. I don't know if you're familiar with that area or not, but they have Leisure World there. And they have a large group. They bus a large group uh, of se- senior citizens, older than me, if you can believe that's possible. Um, 
bust them in every Sunday. And so on the way out the door after the message, uh, this elderly lady all bent over, little tiny lady all bent over with a walker, came up and she paused and she reached up and put her bony little hand in mine and she said, Dr. Hitchcock, we appreciate so much your message today. And then she, Carol was in line next to me. So she comes up to Carol and she looks up at her and she says, next time stay home. I want to hear the other 15 minutes. <laughs> so we're speaking on contentment today. So she wasn't content with what she had gotten. So anyway, um, this is an interesting statement, but I want you to listen closely. Contentment only comes through God, and joy is our expression of God's contentment. Let's close in prayer. No, no, we're not going to do that. But if you don't get anything else out of this message, contentment only comes through God. The only way we can be content is in God. And our expression of that contentment is our joy. Okay, so if you get that part, then we've pretty much got the rest of it. Uh, anyway, I have to go down a little bit because I wasn't quite prepared for you to do the, <laughs> to do the scripture, so I have to look down my notes here a little bit. But People uh, today are consumed uh, with happiness. And the self-help books and uh, all of the uh, motivational speakers and the the uh, ad- advice columnists that that offer the key to happiness they don't have the key the 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 key does not open the door to contentment so as a result of that their door still remains locked they cannot experience contentment outside of god And so when their job or their relationships or uh, even their church community doesn't bring them happiness, then they bail out and they go someplace else. As a result of that, you know, when I was young and and just married uh, and we joined our first church, uh, we were there for a couple of years before I was uh, transferred to another city. Then we went to that city and we uh, joined a church there. We were there for about three and a half years. I got transferred to uh, California. Uh, and then we joined a church. We were there for about five years before I got uh, transferred to Kansas, and they called that a promotion. Um, and, uh, after three months, I knew why Dorothy wanted to get out of there so bad. But the thing is that the, the population of the church would grow But people didn't move from church to church. And today we have this tremendous movement of people. It seems like a continuous flow in and out of church. They come for a while and then somebody says something they don't like or they don't agree with some theological position or whatever. And instead of confronting it and finding out what the truth is of the situation, they just go to a different church. And we experience church splits that way, and and many churches die because of that. It's just unfortunate. God has called you to the church that you're in. God has called you here. You're here for a purpose. And the church of God will always sustain itself 
because of the fact that God put you here. So when you move someplace else, when people move someplace else because they can't find contentment in that church, then they're really going against the will of God because he called you here and you're here until he calls you away to someplace else. Uh, I didn't have that in my notes, so that's a freebie. (laughs) I like to think um, of uh, modern-day mankind as being on a merry-go-round And uh, I don't know whether they still do this or not, but when I was a kid, all the merry-go-rounds had this golden ring. And and it was outside, just outside of your reach. But if you had the guts to really almost fall off that horse or lion or tiger or whatever you were on, you could grab that ring. And that's the way people are today. They're reaching for something that they can't, that they can't get to. It's just out of their reach. And when, when by chance they do reach that extra part and they pull the ring out and they get another ride, they're on, they're on the same ride all over again. They're experiencing the same ride that they weren't happy with when they were reaching for the ring. So it doesn't make any sense. People want happiness and they're never going to find it outside of God. So what are the characteristics of many Christians today? Well, first of all, many Christians are consumed with self. You see, we are so consumed with our own self-needs and our own wants for ourselves that we don't think about other people. There's no parenting model in homes anymore. You know, when I was a young boy growing up, uh, sometime shortly after the Civil War, um, my father was the head of the house. I didn't even belong in a Christian. I didn't even, wasn't even born into a Christian home. But my father was the, at the head of the house. And what spiritual stuff he did, we prayed before the meals and things like that. Uh, even though he wasn't a Christian, he still was the Christ, provided the Christian leadership uh, in our home. So, um, in, the father figure in the home was was the one that was in in control. Uh, all the big decisions the father made in the home. The mother was the second one in position, and the mother was the one that settled all the disputes within the house. My dad didn't settle disputes. He came home from work and sat behind the newspaper and uh, put his feet up on a on the ottoman and and watched a football game if there was if there was uh, after we had tv we uh, went a long time before we had a tv even if you can believe that uh, our phone used to be on a on a table and when it rang you answered it if it was your ring because there were five other people that had the same phone number and so you had to wait for your particular ring to answer it uh, it was called a party line and uh I can remember my mom used to get mad when I'd pick it up and listen to someone else's conversation. But, <laughs> but I knew my place. When We didn't make the decisions in our home. My dad did. And now we just completely, we spent a fortune redesigning our entire children's center at church. Put, took a room almost this size and spent $60,000 to 
putting together a children's facility for, for young families. Why would we do that? Well, because children now decide where their parents go to church in many cases. If the children are happy, they decide. You know, if they have a ball game and it's a choice between playing soccer or going to church, I can tell you in our house, we went to church every Sunday and my dad wasn't a Christian, but we went to church every Sunday. Uh, if I, if I uh, was playing in a golf tournament or if I had something I had to do that Sunday, cancel it. You're going to church. We were in church. And see, now they've taken that over. They've taken that away from us. So there is no parenting model anymore, and it's upside down in most cases. They don't seek the plan of God. People don't seek the plan of God. God has a plan for all of our lives. He, he, He wants us to prosper. The Old Testament teaches that clearly. In the New Testament, Jesus promises us the abundant life. How many of you are experiencing the the abundant life in Christ? Well, it's because if you're not, it's because you're not seeking the plan of God. You're making your own plans. And who do you think is going to win that battle? I would say God is going to win that battle. Do not follow, they don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads them in one direction, but they go in a completely different direction based on their own self needs. And then the last one is that that few seem to experience contentment. Few people seem seem to have any kind of lasting happiness. Now, the entire letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians contains some deep theological gems, uh, which we can spend a lot of time in discussion and, and in debate. However, the overriding issue in the in in this letter. Uh, to the Philippians is the idea of joy. And joy comes through comfort. Once we experience the comfort of God, we will have joy in our lives. However, contentment is dependent on security and trust. We have to completely trust in God in the difficult times in our lives as well as the easy times. There are times in our lives, and I've experienced them in my life, when you can do nothing else other than to trust God. You cannot take control of what's happening. And that can be as little as a traffic jam on the freeway to as big as a heart attack, and you have absolutely no control laying there in the bed. Everyone else is in control of your life. So it's the big things and the little things in life. Um, I thought about it the, as I was putting this together that um, when I'm really feeling contented in my life, at my age, it's time for a nap. I lay down and take a nap when I feel deep contentment. So let's look a little bit at these verses, and that's the introduction, by the way. I hope uh, I stay within the time. I thought you had a counting down. Is that counting down? No, it's not. Okay, well, at least there's a clock there, so I know what I'm doing. Let's take a look at Paul's understanding of commitment. Number one, we see in verse 10 where it says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that it, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have 
been concerned, but have not had the opportunity to show it. And um, I, when when Alan asked me to speak on this section of scripture, uh, I didn't hesitate because, I, like I said to him in the car, I did write a book on this subject, so uh, I know a little bit about it. Second Corinthians one two through five says, "Grace and peace to you." from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles, so that we can comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort that God has given us. So first of all, the the point here is that uh, that Paul is making is that contentment comes through our concern for other people. When God has given us comfort and we reach a place in our lives where we have comfort, then it's our obligation to share that with other people. Not only to share the gospel message, which is the beginning point of comfort, but along beyond that, because everyone is going to be go, is going to be going through suffering. Um, I said this morning when I was praying, uh, made the point that God never promised us we weren't going to suffer. What He did promise us is that He would always be with us, comforting us during that during that suffering. So the first thing is that that cont- that contentment comes through concern. Uh, for others. And Paul says to them, I rejoice. See, he finds joy in the fact that he knows that they're concerned about him, that they're trying to comfort him. And he also says that he understands they didn't have an opportunity. Paul was in prison. They didn't have an opportunity to get to him, but word got to him of the great concern of the Philippian church for him. And that in them, that gave him contentment. Then we see in Philippians four eleven, where it says, "Where it says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances." And this is what this is what Paul is saying here: that contentment comes through wisdom. It comes through wisdom, and wisdom comes from knowledge and, and understanding. The, the the wisdom that we have is a gift from God, but it's based on the knowledge of God's Word and the understanding which comes from the Holy Spirit. The knowledge of God's Word tells us what, what God's Word says. The understanding of God's Word under, tells us what the Word uh, of God means, but wisdom tells us how are we going to use the Word of God in our lives to make a change so we become transformed into the image of God. Romans 3, 5, and and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And the idea there, the picture there, is that, and you really see it more in San Diego than you can in L.A. County, because there are hills everywhere in San Diego County. I mean, you, you can't, Pretty much, other than Route Five out by the out by the ocean, you can't really find a flat space in San Diego County where I live. But God, so God has given us this picture of like a roller coaster. I remember 
we uh, had to go uh, one of one of the times I was promoted with the company I was with, I was sent uh, to Philadelphia for a couple of years. And so we decided to go from Southern California to Philadelphia through uh, Yellowstone National Park. So uh, I don't know whether you can put that in a map in your mind mentally, but that's not a straight line. So we were staying out in the desert and there was this road. I saw there was this road that went up and caught I-15 in Las Vegas outside of of uh, right off of Interstate 10 outside of Indio. And so we went out there, we got on this road. It was like a roller coaster, like this, up and down, up and down. And I thought about this first because what God does is take the roller coaster of life and he straightens it out for us so we can see what's up ahead, you know. So you can see that state highway patrolman before you come up over that rise, all right. So that's what God promises us when what? When we trust in him with all of our heart. So trust is absolutely important. The commitment to wisdom, wisdom comes as a gift from God, and it's a result of knowledge and understanding. The third point we see in this message is that Paul says that contentment comes through life experience. Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be in plenty. When we mentioned when we first got married, um, we had nothing. We spent uh, all of the money that we had saved up for for our uh, for our marriage on a brand new car, so we wouldn't have a car payment. And Carol was working for the phone company, and I was a senior in college, and uh, so we really didn't have a lot. Uh, in fact, we w- were really poor. Uh, we were living on well back then what was four hundred dollars a month. And our rent on our apartment was about $90 a month. So 25% of it was taken up for the rent. So we didn't have a lot. And there were difficult times that we went through. Uh, after I graduated from college, I got a job teaching and Carol got pregnant. And so she quit her job that she had. And she was making $7,500 a year. And I started off uh, at, as a a science teacher with a master's degree and head coach in three varsity sports, and I was bringing home $400 a month. So we were struggling then. And there were times when we, month after month, where we had to figure out what bill we could pay the minimum on. And then all of a sudden, uh, one week, we had a, 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 a visiting pastor come in, and he preached on tithing. And I was saved when I was 17 and didn't grow a whole lot for the first four or five years um, spiritually. But I started growing when we joined this little church. And this guy came and spoke on tithing. And that night I told Carol, I said, next week, we're gonna, next uh, month when I get my check, we're going to do that. Because we only got paid once a month. So we took, uh, actually it was $410. We took $40. Uh, $41, and we put it in the offering. From that point on, that was 54 years, almost 55 years ago. We've been married that long. And we have never had a, we have never missed a bill. We have never had a month when we couldn't pay all of our bills. Before that, we never had a time when we could pay our bills. I mean, it was, it was an incredible gift from God. 
I remember one time I uh, was sitting, working at my desk at home, and Carol said, came in and said, you know, we've got the mortgage due tomorrow, and we don't have any money in the checking account. And I said, well, let's pray about it. And so we prayed about it, and I went out to my desk, and I had a bunch of papers sitting on my desk, and I was straightening them out, and a check falls out of the bottom of the pile. And the check was for penny for penny, exactly what our rent was for that month. See, God always meets our needs in times of need, okay? And then I think of times of plenty, and um, God has been very good to us in our lives. And when I retired from California Baptist University, um, I the president asked me if I would stay on for another year to finalize some of the commitments that had been made to the school, financial commitments. I said, sure, I'll do that. And I was sitting, uh, and, I, and I had noticed that that week that I got a bunch of my statements on my retirement accounts, and we had just gone over the $2 million mark in, in uh, net worth. And I was feeling pretty good. $2 million, I was set. That was 2008, and um, I was sitting in an El Pollo Loco parking lot in my in my car, having a tostado, or tostada, whichever. And on the radio, it says Bear Stearns just claimed bankruptcy. A third of my retirement was at Bear Stearns. And in five days, we lost 72% of our retirement program. In five days. And on the way home, when I knew we were gonna, it was all going downhill, I said to God, you know, God, in my living trust, we've left everything to you and to your work. If this is the way you want to spend your money, go right ahead and do it. But you know, uh, we've never had a month where we couldn't pay a bill. I've never struggled since then because I'm content no matter what position God puts me in, I have contentment in my life. It doesn't matter whether we're in need or we're in plenty. God provides for your needs. It doesn't matter if you're sick at the point of death when I laid on the operating table and and uh, they were going to do six bypasses on my heart in 2003. I was praising God because I knew that either way I was going to win. Either I was going to get to live and put up with all, all this continued suffering that we go through or God was going to take me and I was going to be with Jesus forever. I really had nothing to lose. So when I told the doctor that, he gave me a strange look behind the mask. But uh, anyway, God decided to give me a few more years, and I, I'm grateful for that. But in the, even in physical times of pain and suffering, God can give you contentment. And I was completely content in knowing that I had assurance of eternal life through him. So commit. Commitment through life experience is another thing that Paul points out. 
And then the next thing Paul points out is continue contentment through trust in God. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Everything. How much? How much? Everything. Everything. 1 Peter 5.7 tells us, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. You. He cares for you. So how about our search for content, contentment? Well, we're never going to find happiness in what the world offers us. It's only in what God offers us. And uh, in closing, I just want to point out three actions that we need to take as, as Christians in order to feel, continually feel the contentment of God. The first one is, the first action is unity. You'll never find contentment outside of unity. You won't find contentment outside of unity in your home. You won't find contentment outside of your unity at work. If you're constantly battling with people at work, you're never going to be contented. You're never going to be contented and find contentment as a church unless you have complete unity, unless everyone loves each other You don't always have to agree to be in unity with somebody, unlike the way it is in politics today. You don't have to agree with everybody to be in unity with them. We all have opinions. You know, we all have a a right to speak what we want to speak, but that doesn't mean we can't love each other. I tell people, and I probably said it when I was here last time, that there are times when I don't like my wife real well. And I know there are times she doesn't like me really well. But man, I love her more than anything else on this earth. She's still the most beautiful girl that I ever met. So, And I met her when we were 11. So uh, there was no life before Carol, B.C. (laughs) That is a long time ago. So we have to be in unity. And... And that means being in relationship with each other. Not just tolerating each other, but actually being in relationship with other and finding the things that you do have in common and focus on those things rather than the focusing on the things that you don't have in common. The second thing is access. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord, whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Comfort is available to all of us, and it's available only through Jesus Christ and our relationship with him. That's where it has to start. And then the last um, thing is humility. And this is really interesting because I, I was doing some study about humility and the, this old Mac Davis song came to my mind. I kind of like country music. But I don't know how many of you, how many of you have never heard of Mac Davis before? Raise your hand if you've never heard of Mac. Okay, I'm going to tell you who he is. He's a songwriter. And from the 1960s, before most of you were born, He's in the Hall of Fame of music writers. In fact, he wrote, uh, most of you have heard of Elvis Presley, I would think. He, is, he wrote uh, 
four huge hits for Elvis Presley. In the ghetto, Memories, Memories, Don't Cry Daddy, which is a great song, and a little less, a little less conversation. It's actually a little more love and a little less conversation. And in 2006, that song was re-released. It was originally recorded in, in, two, in 1960. was re-released in 2002, and it became the number one selling record in 26 different countries. Well, he wrote a song in 1980 that was entitled, Oh Lord, It's Hard to Be Humble. Maybe some of you remember this song, but the chorus goes, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't stand to look in the mirror because I look better every day. (laughs) To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. Psalm 147.6 teaches us that The Lord sustains the humble. Humility is extremely important. There's another song that was written in 1996. It was written by an almost obscure... That must be my favorite song, so... I get a little shook up. It was written by an obscure songwriter um, named Darlene Zichek. She was a worship leader in um, a Pentecostal Christian church in Australia. And she penned these words. If I can get through it. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed. (laughs) I've closed the door. I will walk apart. I will run the race. And I will never be the same again. There are higher heights. There are deeper seas. Whatever you need to do, Lord, do it in me. The glory of God fills my life. And I will never be the same again. What a contrast between those two songs. Even though the one song was written as being humor, it's a reflection of most people's life. They look in the mirror and they see something that really isn't there. And what they need to do, what we need to do every day when we get up in the morning and look in that mirror is see Jesus, not see us. That's transforming. That's how you change your life. I'm going to pray in a minute and, but I want, I want to know right now if you have, if you have something going on in your life, and you just, you don't feel the comfort of God. You feel like God isn't in control of your life. I want to pray for you. 
Let's bow our heads. If you're that way, if you feel there's something that you need prayer for, I'm going to pray for you right now. Just lift your hand up and I'll, and I'll pray for you. If there's something going on in your life right now where you, where you don't feel the, the comfort of God, raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. If you never have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day you can change completely. You can become a new cre- creature in Christ. And if you'd like me to pray for you about that, just raise your hand slowly. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. There's always, there's always someone when I ask that question. You know, Romans 10, 9 says, if you can, if you believe in your heart that, you, that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your mouth, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, you will be saved. You'll be rescued. You will receive eternal life. And so I would encourage you to say that prayer right now in your heart. Lord Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. If you will just say that simple prayer, God will accept you into his kingdom. Heavenly Father, we just come before you right now with our hearts deeply moved with all of these that have raised their hands today. We pray, Lord God, that they would seek your face daily that they would start every day with the prayer, Lord God, bring comfort into my life today. Lord God, have your spirit speak to me that I might be directed in the way you want me to go, not the way I want to go myself. Help me to put you first and help me to put myself second. And Lord God, for these that raise their hands that don't know Christ as their Savior. We just pray that they would pray that simple prayer. Lord, it's not, it's not rocket science. When I accepted Christ as my Savior, there was no flash of lightning. There was, there was no, um, no miracle sign. But in my heart, I knew that you had accepted me as your child. And so we pray that for these that raise their hands today that they would um, talk to Alan or talk to one of the elders afterwards and say, you know, I've done this, I've prayed. Because now there's a next step, and it's called discipleship. You need to be discipled. And we'll give you all the praise, God. In Jesus' name, amen.